Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights for making money in food. The Edible Alpha podcast is hosted by the Food Finance Institute, where our mission is to help food businesses raise the money they need to grow. Through our podcast, FFI staff talks to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food or farm business. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, Today, I have Matt McCoy from Fuel to Freezer. Um, Matt and I have worked together over the last uh, couple of years on his platform as part of our accelerator program. But what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to let Matt introduce himself and a little bit about Fuel to Freezer and his parent company, Lanik. So go ahead, Matt. Yeah, thanks for the intro, Brad. And um, nice to Nice to be talking with everyone. Um, as Brad mentioned, I'm Matt McCoy, uh, president and founder of Field to Freezer, and we're a uh, SaaS company that is streamlining meat processing for small independent meat processors. And my background actually is a um, I'm founder and owner of a uh, software company called Lanx. We're based in Heartland, Wisconsin, and we are known for creative solutions to business problems through custom software. So um, it's been kind of fun because we've done a lot of work with uh, startups over the years. And then uh, this this time around, we kind of had an idea, you know, very Wisconsin sort of, um, you know, uh, upbringing, I guess you'd say, and, and we're able to leverage our our um, technology experience um, to building our own product. So um, that's a little bit about me. So, as I said, you know, I've worked with a lot of companies over the last seven years as uh, with my accelerated programs between uh, FFI and Fab Wisconsin. And, and so one thing I always try to do on every one of them, if I can help it, um, is I like to, since Wisconsin is not only known for its food manufacturing um, in you know both brands and commodities and blah 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 all the the food the physical product itself um, a lot of people don't realize that we are also number one in almost all the technology platforms between packaging processing um, and then in the latest uh, last well seven years actually I've always had almost I have, I have almost always had some kind of um, cloud-based type of uh, application that actually helps the industry become more efficient, remove barriers for growth. And I always try to make sure that I pick, I find companies like that. And that's sort of how, when I, I first saw Matt, I think at the governor's business challenge or something on that, and if I can't remember which, <laughs> where I first saw your, first saw Matt, Matt and Field of Freezer crop up. And I thought, that's interesting. And I love the platform about, uh, you got a deer now. Where do I get a you know? Where do I get a process? <laughs> uh, you know, and then and then when we talked, I said, "Well, I love the field, but I want it to be I want it to be cows too. I want it, to, you know, have domestics in it and such." Mm-hmm. And so we started talking, and 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 you know, and, and it's like so. I, I I want the audience to sort of make sure that we when you start thinking about innovation and technology, technology in in food and beverage is out there, and it's it, it's sort of like almost an afterthought, but it it truly is one of the key drivers for growth. So, you know, Matt, you know, you, like I say, you, you, I think your genesis was like, you know, was this, this whole area of, you know, I can't find, I'm a, I'm a hunter, I can't find my processor and such. So you, 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 you set, set out to do that. You know, when I'm, like I say, when, when I work with CPG companies, it's more traditional branding and consumer work and stuff like that. And it's building a product, which is more of something that's very touchable, very easy to sort of construct your platforms aren't right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a little more of an arc to it, but why don't you just sort of go through the, a little bit of the, you know, light bulb on sort of entrepreneurial, uh, sort of, you know, genesis of things and, sure. and some of the things that you had to navigate. Okay. 
Yeah, it was um, it was really an interesting process. And uh, for any of the hunters out there, um, you know, you probably um, can relate to the fact that um, it's it's more getting together with people and solving the problems of the world necessarily than it is, uh, you know, necessarily putting food on the table because uh, you're not always, you know, fortunate to be able to do that. So there was uh, one year we were fortunate um, to harvest a couple of deer. And uh, as we were driving to our meat processor, I was lamenting the fact that um, every time we get to a processor, there's a, a really long wait in line. It could be half an hour to an hour wait. Um, once you get to the front of the line, um, you don't remember exactly how you're going to get your animal processed or how you did previous years, and you don't know exactly what your animal is going to yield. So if you like prime cuts, uh, in other words, you're you know, roasts and steaks and things like that, tenderloin, uh, you're going to probably get less uh, specialty products like the sausages and brats and those sorts of things. And, you know, invariably, it seems like you get one, uh, you know, you get too much of one thing and not enough of another. So I, I started to kind of ideate this and talk with, you know, with our friends in the in the car and everything. And, you know, I said, well, we built software solutions and all sorts of other industries. Why don't we build a nap uh, in meat processing that would help kind of solve this problem. And, you know, the other observation we had was that meat processors are generally working off pen and paper. And I guess my, my, um, my initial observation was incorrect because I had thought that uh, maybe they just didn't like to spend money. So that's why they were on pen and paper. And, you know, and that, that might be true at some level, but, you know, that's a generalization that really doesn't apply. And what we discovered was there really wasn't a product out there that, uh, that did what, you know, we were talking about doing. So uh, we were fortunate to get into Generator's um, G-Beta program in uh, fall of um, 2019. And, um, actually that's, that's where I met Brad and it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, I think you were, yeah, um, Molly Dill, I think introduced us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was interesting because we, we started out where, you know, we were just building out a, a database of meat processors. So how do you find a processor that has the products that you're looking for? And we had been working on that for about a year and a half, but Molly challenged us and said, Hey, any chance you can get an MVP together in uh, in about you know by Wisconsin deer season, which was in about three weeks? And I kind of laugh because I'm like, well, I, we might be able to put a search tool together by then, but I don't think we're going to get a you know a, um, our full system together or anything like that. So, um, so we started out um, basically uh, with a a website which uh, we did press releases um, the week. Um, like leading into Wisconsin deer season 2019. And we wound up getting picked up by three TV news stations and uh, five publications over the next uh, couple of months. And we used a strategy similar to Zillow where we created a separate landing page for every processor that was in our database. And at that time we launched with about 15 or 1600 processors. So it made for a really large website, which also turned into a lot of uh, activity um, based on what had happened with referral links and things like that from the, um, you know, from the TV stations and the, and the articles and things. But, um, you know, the, the one thing that was interesting was, um, you know, 
there's there's a lot of talk always about you know going out and meeting investors and uh, you know all of this kind of smoke I would say and the one question that everybody's got to ask is is somebody willing to pay money for your product so we felt that we needed to kind of get out there and put our idea out there um, you know in front of you know the meat processors and see what the reaction was so we. Um, uh, we had actually filed for a patent in um, September of 2019 uh, before we started to, you know, publicize our, um, you know, our product and what we were working on and figured that that would help with our uh, defensibility a bit and, you know, wound up doing a direct mail piece in um, December of 2019 and wound up getting a huge response from processors, um, you know, saying this is awesome you know, uh, what can we do to get involved? And I guess you would say we, you know, met some uh, brand ambassadors, you know, in meat processing who signed on with us before we even had a product built. So um, that was kind of a kind of an exciting, you know, period of time and everything. And, you know, one of the things that we had discovered was um, there were a lot of uh, misconceptions we had about what um, wild game processing looked like in different parts of the country. So we would see long lines and things like that in Wisconsin, but uh, we have a relatively uh, condensed um, gun deer season. And um, down in the southeast, their deer are smaller and they have a much larger, longer season. And, you know, the one thing that all the processors said, you know, your app idea is great, but we really need something to help us run our businesses as well. So it, it turned into, you know, what was originally going to be kind of an app for hunters um, really got adopted by meat processors. And, you know, that was that was really kind of the, the driving force between, you know, I mean, to get everything started. But we kind of had this, uh, you know, this thing happened called COVID. And it happened um, just uh, a few weeks, actually, after I had got back uh, from a number of road trips. And, you know, I thought, the best way to, to learn about the market and these, you know, processors issues is to, um, you know, is to get out and, and, you know, meet with them. And we had some fun with puns. We'd call it hashtag, you know, meetings, M-E-A-T-I-N-G-S. And I wound up traveling through um, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Iowa, Colorado, um, part of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Wyoming, um, you know, over over the past couple of years, you know, really hit the road. And, you know, it was a cheap education. You know, of course, gas is a little cheaper then. But, you know, to have some willing people to kind of take you through their businesses and, and you know, what they're looking for was, um, was really pretty exciting. But um, as Brad mentioned before, one of the the other challenges is really um, domestic animal processing. So some of these processors, um, they they deal with wild game because it's it's very lucrative and generally the hunting community it's um, fairly price insensitive. Whereas uh, domestic processing um, that kind of exploded as uh, COVID happened because people would go to the grocery stores and couldn't find uh, meat in the freezer or in the cooler or anything. So they all started to call on these small independent processors who, you know, a lot of people had relegated to a very uh, niche industry and things. And, you know, now people are really looking uh, to them for their their protein needs. And, you know, and it is a lot more farm to table with, uh, you know, with these types of processors than, you know, a lot of the large stores. So um, that's a little bit, you know, kind of how, how we got started out with things. 
Yeah, no, I can remember when we first met, like I said, I'm glad you bolted on the the, the COVID piece and, and the domestic side of the, the platform because they said, you know, it's interesting. Um, I do a lot of work with different industries over the last, you know, throughout my career. In fact, I was working with uh, the New North has a, when, when Foxconn came into the market, they created a, you know, WEDC went out and, and sponsored the creation of a of, a, of a, a directory, you know, so Foxconn could find, you know, suppliers in Wisconsin and help, you know, grow not only their business, but, you know, the Wisconsin market. And I thought, oh, that's cool, you know, and I, and I started looking at the platform that they had developed and and it was a directory. It was it was exactly what they said it was, but it wasn't very dynamic. Um, you know, it was sort of a list of a whole bunch of stuff and there's ways to sort it by food companies or tech companies or blah, blah, blah. It wasn't as dynamic as I was sort of hoping for, you know, understanding who's mm-hmm. got capabilities for what, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, hence, I know you and I talked a little bit about the, the idea of, you know, industry resource planning, um, you mm-hmm. know, and that's where I, you know, I, I see your platform and the opportunity to, to be that, to be exactly that sort of like, this is meat processing resource planning, you know, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, you know, and so, you know, and, and, and trying to make sure you make all that connectivity and, and make it happen. You know, you mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, working with G-Beta and investors. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and I have talked a little bit about that over the years. And um, and I think, and, you know, it, it, obviously the investor market, you bro- you bootstrap most of your business, correct? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Um, yeah, that's been kind of an interesting uh, dynamic, you know, in and of itself. And I, I kind of equate it to like taking a rubber band and stretching it around your fingers. And you kind of have these these different demands. And, you know, every time you, you know, get out and meet with an investor, somebody's got a little bit of a different idea as to what you should do next or how you should run it. And, you know, I think um, Brad made a comment, which I've I've attributed to you on, on a number of occasions, but, you know, investors are good at making money. They aren't always good at running businesses. So <laughs> there's a lot of ideas that come out of that. And, you know, if you if you listen to every single idea that somebody, you know, might present to you, you're going to wind up running in all kinds of different directions and then, you know, lose focus on the fundamental question of, you know, is somebody willing to pay, you know, money for your product. So, you know, so you've got to, you know, kind of make sure your, your MVP and everything is honed in, you know, in a way that you can, um, you can answer that question. And, you know, you might find out that, you know, you're able to do it yourself through some, some mechanism without, you know, going out for an investment, you know, and, and holding on to that equity or go for the investment at, at the time when you really need it, um, you know, and, and keep your equity as long as possible. But, you know, it doesn't make for as exciting a story, you know, on LinkedIn or anything else, if you're, if you're bootstrapping and, and that sort of thing, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, you don't have, you don't have a glittery investor pitch event that you can, yeah. you know, yeah, you, yeah. Pitch, you, you pitch to yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's actually a good way of looking at it. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause I mean, you watch or read, um, you know, biz times or something like that. It's, you know, so-and-so raised a million dollars in a, you know, in a seed round or something like that. And it's, you know, we could take a look at it and say, Hey, we raised, you know, we, we had a million dollars worth of work done and spent yeah. two or 300,000 on it. Just by the way, we were 
able to accomplish it. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it's something you have to be fairly, you know, creative with and, and make sure that you're not spending money and resources on things that, um, you know, that aren't going to be immediately productive. So, you know, and, and your time is, you know, obviously a really, um, you know, Im- important um, asset as well. And I think that, you know, everybody's investing, you know, in some fashion, whether they're, you know, writing a checkout for your your idea, your project, or it's time that you're spending on it. And, you know, I think lots of times people have to ask, you know, is there is their idea really worth the time they're putting into it? You know, they may not have some of those fundamental questions answered and, you know, they maybe should move on to something else, but, you know, we've been fortunate. Yeah. Well, I do think it's an interesting, you know, like say there's a a lot of people I know generally do sort of do a fair amount of bootstrapping, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To your point, uh, I say sort of, as you mentioned, as you sort of describe it, like it's interesting, especially tech companies I've seen, a lot longer bootstrapping arcs, honestly, mm-hmm. um, because of the fact that, to your point, you're usually writing your code, you know, on your spare time, you know, exactly. I mean, you're six, you're extra, after 60 hours, you're writing your code for the next 20 hours or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, yep. you know and, and that's equity, you know, obviously that, that you're building because that's, uh, you know, if you paid a code writer, you would, that would, that's how much it would cost them, you know, per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually look at that as equity and you probably should. I was like, it's sort of like, um, hopefully when you're getting mentored early on in the game, you're keeping track of your hours, honestly, because that is sort of like a, I know you and I have talked about it on yours. It's like, go back and let's try to recapitalize what it took to build this platform. Exactly. Um, you know, because um, obviously it should in, in some way, shape or form, you know, sort of be on your balance sheet. You know, if you had had to pay an investor in that million dollar round to do something big, you know, then that's what you would have shown up as. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh so that you know, it, it it's sort of a an interesting uh, process that you know, especially like I say, I think tech guys do a to some extent a pretty good job because you sort of do it behind the scenes. You don't have to do it in the open market necessarily. Yeah. You know, um, whereas a lot of food get people that I work with, they're going to farmers markets. I mean, they're they're generating the way they're generating their ca- you know, they're sort of like keeping up float is they do a lot of cash now things, um, and and they you know then they can do you know then they can actually get them to one level to the next level to the next level to the, then hopefully everybody says, okay, you're willing, I'm willing to invest in you so you can do the next major round, whatever that mm-hmm. is, a capital expansion, a market expansion. Um, you know, on the tech side, as I said, uh, the companies that I've worked with, um, I, like I say they, they tend, like I said, the ones that I work with tend to want to be, you know, keep more of an arm's distance away from, from uh, investors. And I think you bring up a good point. I mean, they're sort of pushing you in a certain direction, you know, for, um, th- you know, for a, you know, they, they see a, sort of an area of the market that, you know, they think is underserved. And, and I think that, you know, it's interesting, you know, can you, you know, as you, as you think about investors, especially moving forward, you're getting closer to where you may consider doing that, you know, as market yep. expansion occurs. Um, I guess, what are you looking for? I mean, you know, why don't you, why don't you share a little bit of thought process on that? Sure. You mean with respect to investors? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, um, I think the, you know, we're looking for more than just a check. Um, we'd like to partner with somebody that, you know, helps um, drive the vision forward, you know, through industry connections and, and those sorts of things. Um, you know, and, and obviously we need to figure out, you know, what that 
growth trajectory uh, kind of looks like. So we have on our you know planning board right now, um, the system does accommodate uh, domestic processing, and we've got processors that are using it for domestics. But one of the the very interesting things is that um, you know if you consider processing a cow. Um, you know, basically there's a, there's a producer component to it, which, uh, you know, the producer's got to find a processor that actually has availability in their schedule. And that's very difficult now. And it's interesting because you have, um, you know, a lot of times uh, animals are, uh, they know approximately when they're going to be slaughtered before they're even born. So they can kind of predict all of that out. So if a processor opens their, their calendar up, you know, even a couple years out, it'll start to fill in by, by producers that are, you know, that are already planning for, you know, when those animals are going to be processed. But another interesting thing is um, based on uh, the regulations uh, for a lot of these small independent processors, um, a farmer or producer will go and drop an animal off at a processor. And, you know, you always hear people buy the quarter cow or the half cow or the whole cow or an eighth of a cow, something like that. But uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that there there are different customers lots of times for each of those pieces of the cow. And a um, producer actually has to find the uh, the customers in advance of dropping the uh, the animal off at the processor. So uh, mm-hmm. the processor will charge for their fees, and then the producer, you know, is going to charge for the uh, you know the portion of the animal itself. So there's actually out of you know one animal, there there may be four or eight different suborders um, for that particular thing. So you know you have you have different kind of logistics issues where you know, you have to kind of schedule the drop off of the animal, but then all of the customers that are associated with it all have to get their independent orders in and what are called cut sheets, you know, respective to what they want. So there's actually a lot of complexity that we're planning on building out, um, uh, which um, is in the design phase right now. And we're going to be um, you know, we're going to be building that out, but it's it's probably a six month project or so. So we yeah. kind of look at this from a, you know, from an investor perspective. You know, we we have a, a software company that um, that's also growing as well. So you know, in some cases, you know, doing the the SaaS you know startup stuff is a longer play basically to opportunities that might exist for the software company now. So we have to make sure. We're accommodating both sides of it, so you know, kind of straddling that fence. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thing. I, you know, sort of when you bring up uh, you bring up the complexity. I, you know, I know I've been pushing you towards the, the domestics. Um, yeah, part of it. and uh, and that bolt on front. That's sort of an interesting um, issue. You know, you know that to your point. I mean, it, like they, I know they, you know, the quarter, or the eighth, the half, whatever. Um, you know, and then you have parts left over. You know, um, yep. <laughs> so you know. You know what you obviously one thing uh, like say as you look at that utilization I would one thing I, I have you think about is um, I'm working with value added agriculture groups uh, in the in our most recent fe- our, our accelerator program is now a fellows program yeah we actually have um, we started taking on I think in your in your cohort was beanies trees in your cohort yep okay yeah so they were they tr- they were actually a you know they're a maple farm you know and yeah then, but they have their own business. Um, I have a couple of uh, I don't have any, I don't have meat ones yet. I will in a few in a few weeks. 
Um, but I do have uh, some, you know, different ag groups, and and I'm what I'm really trying to uh, have them do on their mix because they look at their business as a farm, mm-hmm. all right, not necessarily as a consumer product company, all right. Mm-hmm. So a quarter beef is a consumer product company, absolutely, not a farm. And and I said, so you know, how do you forecast your business? You forecast it by consumer demand, not by what the farm can grow. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, the farmer should be, you know, the farm, they should treat the farm as the preferred, preferred, preferred provider. Right. Right. And if they think like that and you know how, you know, how I always have you become a VP of marketing, a VP of finance, VP, you know, right. have you, make sure you change your hats and think like the right person. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing on the sales side of a farm is that they could and should have one of their sales channels should be ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know? to the major, you know, to the ConAgra's of the world, to the, the General Mills of the world, so that they have an outlet for these parts. All right. Yep. So what doesn't go into number one in this case goes in, you know, like I say, a consumer product goes into an ingredient lane. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, if they think like that, it makes it a lot easier for them to organize it. Okay. Right now, this year, I want to do 50% of the ingredients and next, you know, and I want to, I want to get to the point where I have, 70% of my output is towards consumer products and only 30% is sort of ingredients. Sure. All right. Um, your platform could really help provide structure for that, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, because honestly, if they look at, you know, the 80% goes into number one cuts that goes out to consumers as, you know, eighth quarter, half, whatever. Um, and the rest of it becomes either a separate, I'm going to say, you know, maybe a, a site for ground beef, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be sold off to, you know, some processor as a value, you know, as an ingredient for their, you know, whatever, their their sausage they're making. Um, and, you know, it allows them to get rid of the full animal. Um, it's sort of a, and it's sort of an interesting, uh, you're, as I said, when you, as I, when, you, when I, 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 I sort of, I'm enjoying the fact that, I can just see how people would get into your space and have ideas for you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's so so much fun, and you know one of the one of the interesting things is we call it uh, metadata instead of metadata. But yeah. um, you know, there's uh, when you look at a processor's menu, for example, for uh, specialty products, you have things like you know obviously the base meat. So you know with a uh, with a cow, you know, or or hog or something, it's uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, obviously beef and pork, um, but you get, you get into some of the wild game processing and things. And, you know, wild game uh, is, can be processed, but it's not for resale, but Mm -hmm. there are uh, farm raised um, deer, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, but venison is a very lean meat. And oftentimes if you're going to make it into sausage and things, you've got other, other demands, you know, like pork fat is a common, you know, additive for it and things like that. So one of the, one of the things that, you know, we're helping processors with now is figuring out, you know, what their demands for some of the other, um, you know, uh, some of the other add-in products are. So a lot of our specialty products are interface for menus and things like that is, as those products are built out, it takes into consideration, you know, other types of filler products. Or we, we have something we call mix-ins. So, you know, some people add cheese or, you know, some other, you know, ingredient to, to the sausage as well. So, you know, we've got different ways to build those, those relations in. But then also we have uh, considerations for things like um, 
uh, like wet weight versus dry weight. So one of the challenges with, uh, you know, with uh, wild game is you, you're not exactly sure how much yeah. your, your animal might yield. So, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of customer service issues that happen between a, <laughs> a farmer and a, and a meat processor. So, you know, if you find out, you know, some of these processors, they, they do two or 3,000 orders over a, a couple of week period in, in Wisconsin, you know, for, for gun deer season. But a lot of those require follow up with the customer. So, you know, there's, there's calls, you know, are you sure your order's right? Or, you know, this isn't, you know, going to yield as much meat as we thought, you know, you might need to have it processed this way. So we wanted to build as much intelligence into the system um, to accommodate, you know, to handle those sorts of questions, as well as things like, um, automated voice calls, text messaging, and email and things. But the other thing is that, you know, all of these different, you know, ingredients um, are going to play a role in uh, what that finished product looks like. So if you have, if you have jerky, for example, um, that's, that's a dehydrated meat. So, you know, mm-hmm. it might take, um, you know, let's just say it's a, a couple of pounds or whatever of, of base meat, but once it's dehydrated, you know, it's down into, you know, a number of ounces or something. So, you know, a lot of the customer service issues you see, you know, in these situations are because people don't understand how their animal is <laughs> going to be parted out and things. So, you know, yeah, I give so, you a hundred pounds. How come I get a hundred pounds back? <laughs> exactly. That, that's, a, that's a real thing. So, you know, I think, um, you know, so there's a lot of exciting things, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, how, how can that, you know, these animals be, you know, better utilized and I think really generate a very, uh, a very farm to table, you know, experience. And, you know, a lot of these processors, um, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I would say as a, as a whole, they're very down to earth people. Um, you know, they wear their heart on their sleeves. They've got a good sense of humor. I want to say, don't, don't take themselves or anything too seriously, just a really wonderful, you know, bunch of people to, um, to work with. But, um, you know, it's interesting because there, there is sort of an adversity to, uh, to technology and that sort of thing and keeping it simple. And, you know, so we've, we've made sure that we don't overbuild our products. So we're not building features before the market's ready for them, but there's also been a price, you know, for kind of getting in, you know, on, you know, at the forefront of all this. And that is that we've got to, you know, essentially pay the freight for educating people as to why, you know, these kinds of products are going to be useful for the industry and things. So, you know, we've, we've had strong support from, you know, I want to say the hunting and wild game, you know, community and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's a lot of younger processors, I would say that are, you know, taking over family businesses or they're buying businesses or just getting into it through, um, UW's got a great, um, uh, meat, um, science program and things like that. And you see a lot of people getting into mobile slaughtering and, you know, farm to table stuff and things like that. And, you know, there's a lot of younger people that are like, Hey, let's, you know, let's automate this stuff and, you know, make it easier and things. So, you know, but not everybody's there yet. So, you know, we've had to pay pay some freight, you know, for, for educating people. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's sort of an, it's an, that is a whole nother. It's one thing I think you and I started working on and I've I've been pushing a lot more towards is just sort of a three-year go-to-market planning. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially for tech companies, um, you know, for CPG companies and and with my background anyways, 
um, you know, I sort of get it. You know, there, you have to learn how you, you test in one market. You, you know, use that learning to go to another market to, to make sure you're ready for a large, you know, expansion. All right. So that mm-hmm. when you have both, you know, market expansion costs and CapEx type of expansion costs, you want to make sure you've you got a market there. Right. Um, exactly. The go to market uh, arc for technology platforms is different. And yours, yours is yours actually is not all that. It's not that huge of a barrier to get into, you know, no. mm-hmm. uh, you know, but but, you know, where you make your money is more on the pounds processed when it's all said and done. Exactly. Um, you know, and uh, and so, you know, you, you got to sort of like try to become their checking account so that it becomes part of the way they do business. So, you know, I guess, you know, like I said, the one the one area and I, I've, I like I, say, I haven't had as much I was, I was getting ready to go to starting block and then and work with that group on. I want to have a whole thinking, you know, a, whole, a brainstorming session on technology companies go to market, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what, you know, some best practices and, and thought, I guess, why don't you share a little bit of thought on, you know, you, you meant you start hitting on some of the barriers, right? Sure. So, you know, some of the ways of sort of, you know, navigating those barriers or, it, you know, and say, hopefully maybe make turning a barrier into a stepping stone. Sure, sure. Well, one of the things, um, and, you know, as as we mentioned earlier, our, our software company, Lanx, we're, you know, 23 years old, and we've spent a lot of time over the years with both startups and existing, you know, companies, uh, ideate and engineer new products. And, you know, one of the things that I've seen with, um, with technology solutions um, with companies that have been successful with them is is not overbuilding, um, doing um, very good planning and making sure that you're you're spending time on the discovery portion of your project. So, in other words, um, discovery is going to be all of the research that you need to do uh, in order to actually get that product built. Now, you can spend too much time on it as well. So, you know, I know Molly from G Beta has always said, you know, you fake it till you make it. And, you know, I think that's that's true at some level, but you have to make sure that you're, you know, you've got a plan to address all of these different things. So for us, um, one of the one of the things that the strategies that we used and um, I had built a lot of this over the 2018 to 2019 period before we were uh, before we filed for our patent, but it was in preparation for it. But we actually did wireframes and full graphic designs of what we expected our interface to look like. So if we, um, you know, when we're out, when we're ready to start showing it to people, we had it on paper, basically. We didn't have anything, you know, digitally, but, you know, we had a, I have a binder basically um, that I could take out to processors and say, here's, here's what it is. Uh, You know, this is how it's going to work. You know, basically my, my pitch and paper form. And, you know, it actually worked well because first of all, a lot of them were familiar with paper anyway. And then second of all, you know, for us to make an adjustment to a, a paper, you know, a printed out, you know, digital design is going to be a lot less expensive than, you know, having a product built already or partially built and then having to get the programmers to change that around. So, you know, we kind of use that paper format as sort of our, our straw man and everything. And, you know, there was an interesting story that kind of came out of everything. And, um, one of my friends that I had been hunting with uh, happened to talk to one of the processors uh, as we were, you know, dropping our, our animals off. And, um, you know, and, and he said, you know, here's 
we've got this idea for an app, you know, what, what do you think of this? And I kind of wish he hadn't said anything. Cause, uh, you know, I was kind of like, Shh, you know, <laughs> don't give anyone any ideas yet or anything, but, um, but, um, you know, the processor kind of like, uh, look down and kind of frown and he's like, there's no way somebody can build something like that. And, you know, I kind of looked at that as, you know, sort of like those are fighting words, sort of, you know, in a a way, because we've done so many unique novel things with our software business, you know, but, but the reality was that was our, you know, that was kind of one of our first, um, you know, connections with processors. And, you know, later I talked to a uh, younger guy. um, He's, uh, I think, third generation uh, meat processor, you know, in the southeastern Wisconsin area. And he goes, he's got a real interesting background, actually. He's got a legal background, uh, technology background, and a meat processor. So, Really, uh, and, and he's a great marketing person too, um, but super nice guy. And uh, talked to him, and he said, you know, um, I've I've seen um, businesses, you know, like what you're trying to do, uh, crash and fail spectacularly. But he said, I see how you have this together, and I think you're going to be successful with it. So, you know, it was kind of interesting because, you know, that was sort of our, you know, kind of, you know push forward or nudge forward that, you know, maybe there's, you know, there's a side of this that, you know, we're, we're, we weren't seeing from our earlier conversation, but spending that time in discovery and getting out and actually meeting the people that are going to be using your products. Now, obviously if you're a, you know, consumer products, you know, group, um, you know, you're going to have to have some product in, in hand and, you know, it's going to have to be, um, you know, done in a way where you're not, uh, you know, it, you're beyond friends and family or somebody that might, you know, just not want to, you know, not want to, you know, discourage you or anything like that, you know, but somebody that will give you some real honest, you know, feedback and stuff. And, you know, but I, I think um, by by spending that time in discovery and figuring out what the what the minimal product you need to put together is, what the you know cost of that is, and then um, determining um you know, kind of what your next steps are going to be. Um, that's, you know, that having that plan in place um, is is so critical. And, you know, um, products that, you know, we've seen that were successful were, you know, ones that uh, could be tweaked, you know, with, with minor tweaks. And you had a um, inventor, you know, or founder that wasn't afraid to tweak a product. Um, you know, we've had products that, you know, we, we had built with our software business where, you know, people weren't flexible, you know, the, the founders and, you know, maybe for, you know, a few thousand dollars of additional development, there was a way to, you know, pivot your, your product so that, you know, it would apply to a different market or something like that. And, you know, people, you know, and there's one, one case in particular where I think if somebody was more flexible with that, you know, they could have got their idea off the ground, but, you know, it was in, in one case it had to work a particular way and, you know, that sort of thing. Also, you know, you don't want to overprice your product, you know, at first. So, you know, it's, it's strange. I tell people that, you know, um, like our, our setup fees, um, they include a printer, but, you know, they're in the 25 to $2,700 range usually. And that helps us get, you know, a lot of the logic together on people's menus and things like that. But our, um, you know, our, our, financial model is we we have generally speaking it's a transactional fee so we take a percentage of a sale through the system and 
uh, processors have liked that because, you know, they're not paying for something, um, generally speaking, unless they're actually selling something. But, you know, you don't want to you don't want to be priced so high that, you know, somebody's not going to, you know, not going to get started with you. And, you know, and that was a, that was a big thing, you know, trying to figure out what your, you know, what your price was at. But, you know, now it's funny because you got a processor that signs up and it's a, you know, $2,700, you know, setup fee with a printer, you know, and, you know, let's just say it's a few hundred dollars a month in revenue, depending on the size of processor. And you get all excited about that, but, you know, it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not really all that much money. So, you know, when you're looking at something like a SaaS business, it's, you know, it's scaling and traction and making sure you've got a whole bunch of those people because, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month may not, you know, seem like all that much, but if you get, you know, couple hundred customers online it starts to you know get real (laughs) (laughs) exactly um one other thing i i wanted to mention and that is um you know and i think you touched on it before brad but it's you know as founders we have to wear a lot of different hats and one of the things that you know was exciting for us you know as we kind of went through our first uh full season of uh you know paying customers was having somebody that was able and and willing to do some of the um the sales as well as the customer support as well as um some of the you know customer setup and things like that and you know a gentleman that I worked with uh for you know actually worked with over 30 years ago or so uh his career turned into you know taking you know, um, ideas and building markets out and things like that. And, um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things I've heard, um, is that it can take up to two years to actually build out a territory for a, for a new, um, you know, new startup. And, you know, we have challenges because, you know, obviously wild game is, is seasonal, you know, at some level. So we kind of have this normal, you know, there's a kind of a normal heartbeat of processing when it comes to domestics. And then you get into, you know, uh, wild game processing, you know, which kind of really hits, you know, on a national basis, I want to say mid-September to beginning of October, and you've got this just gigantic uh, spike of, of traffic and everything. It makes it interesting to, you know, to figure out how you're going to tailor your message depending on, you know, who you're going to be, um, you know, trying to sell to, you know, at a particular time. So we'll have a very different message as we roll out new domestic features, you know, to the domestic processors and the, and the producers versus the, the wild game, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, you bring up something that I, I went through an ETP program. I think you're, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's the entrepreneurial training program. Oh, and, and they have, a, uh, it's called N, N, uh, NSF Corp. It's the National Science Foundation Corp. Um, I actually sponsor, I was actually a, a mentor for, um, a, a, they were trying to create a, a 3D printed food. And they picked the, the market of, uh, of, of people with aphasias that had problems swallowing. You know? Oh, uh-huh. And, you know, we, it was sort of a, and the process, you know, was being run through the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and, and they, they do a really good job. And it, it was very, it's extraordinarily more rigorous than I, than I think most entrepreneurs go through, especially in part of it is because I do believe it's sort of the science foundation sort of push, because if you're in this NSF foundation, you have to go out and get 
a hundred interviews or some consumer customer interviews. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they put a number on it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they force you to do that early insight work that you described, that you described. And, and, and I, and I say all too often, I see most companies don't do enough work in that space, you know, because especially if you go in that space and on, on a tech side, it would make even more sense because you can have your early customers yes. that you could be talking to that you're not selling. Yep. All right. If you're talking, when I find when I'm not trying to sell them anything, I get more when my consulting business, if I'm not selling <laughs> something and I'm just talking to them about their problems and their issues, I get more job offers than I can do. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and so what happens though is that cause you find out issues, right? right? And then you have a chance to address them. And, and that's a, that's to your point. It's a, it's a discipline. I'm not, you know, to try to create, to try to harness sort of what wants to happen and how, then how can you facilitate it? You as the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it, it probably could and should be embraced more broadly than just technology companies. Um, because I know in the, the large food world, I always did that. I always found, I did, you know, we had about six months of exploration of category and then consumer and then, you know, some really in-depth consumer with final product and positioning and all nine yards before we went to market. All right. Sure. Uh, and, you know, it made sense. You had a lot of money. There's a big risk because there's millions of dollars on the line when you go to market with these things. Um, but, but in the same breath, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, you can do some of these things. I always talk about farmer's markets for consumer products. I mean, look at all those people start keeping track of who stops by and what are, what are they like? What are their attitudes? You know, what are their what are their hobbies? I mean, get to know them a little bit if you can, you know, because that you're trying to get the persona of the person that spies you. All right. Um, and then making sure that you are appealing to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more on a consumer product side of it. But on, on, a, on a platform side of it, it's more about it's more about business functionality and connectivity to the market and such. Um and, and what you described is a lot of that. Um, and then, then it would make it easier then obviously to go back to these people now with a solution. Hey, look, I talked to you about this. This is what I got. What do you think? And once again, you're not even selling it. You don't even have to necessarily sell it at that point in time. They might just say, wow, you took my idea and made it. All right. And, yep. uh, you know, and then you're telling me it's a platform that's now available for market. And I wouldn't be surprised. You'll see a lot more people. They buy things that they made, you know, absolutely. Um, you know. Yeah, so. it's, it's great if you do it right. You have your marketing message built right into your discovery, you mm-hmm. know, um, process. So, you know, in a discovery process, you know, with when we do it with Lanx, we always say it, you know, it can include a whole number of different things. So, you know, mm-hmm. generally speaking, it's going to be a very detailed scope with a breakdown of hours and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. It could be things like uh, branding and style sheets for your user interface, but some it could even be logo design, but some of that is actually going to flow through to all of your marketing pieces and, you know, all the, all the other aspects of your, you know, of your product and, and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, and, you know, basically your scope of work is generally going to be a detailed outline. So you have, you know, this, um, this great, um, you know, outline talking about, you know, how all of the features are going to be used by your, by your people. And, you know, it's good to have it down on paper and it may not be something that you, you need to build. I mean, we do a lot of, you know, ideation with, with startups where, you know, we're talking about a phase three or phase four item. It doesn't make sense to build it right away because first of all, it might change. And second of all, the feature won't 
have any effect until you have enough users on the platform in order to use it in the first place. So, you know, that's that's a way that people can really save a lot of time and hone that whole, you know, MVP down, you know, um, by by investing their time and, you know, that in that research phase. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you talk about minimum viable products. So you t- in, when I was in engineering, I always used to start out by what do we need? All right. And then, and then I laid it out though for, you know, what's, what is the potential of the future, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and a lot of times, I mean, I had no clue what was going to be in that, you know, 100,000 square foot facility that, that could be as large as 600,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, but that with that, you know, I didn't worry so much about it because of the fact that I just knew that the business was going to grow yep. and that I just needed framework for it. So that was bury my undergrounds two feet deeper. All right. Um, you know, make sure I have places for substations um, and then power feeds and such. And, you know, some strategic location of power plant, you know, like the, the compressors and, and things like that so that you could expand. All right. And I always mm-hmm. try to remind people that the phantom line is one of the best things in the world. And what you create, what you're talking about is your wireframe is, is that you're creating a space to put some future thing. In your case, you're describing a little more maybe future, future features, but you know, it's sort of a similar idea. You know, you're creating a phantom, you know, growth space, um, you know, and, and, and not closing the door once you create the first one, you know? Um, so interesting. So I tell you what, I want to wrap this up here in a few minutes. So why don't we take five minutes and talk about um, where, you know, okay, Matt, it's 2022. Now you started in 2018, 19. Um, where do you see the, where do you see yourself in a, you know, in the next 18 months, uh, what's, what, what are the issues and how are you going to get there? Yeah, I think probably our, um, you know, our, let's see, biggest challenge is going to be uh, just getting um, some of the, you know, really large amount of programming done that we, we want to get accomplished. So, you know, I mentioned some of the uh, domestics uh, portion earlier. Uh, we've got a, a scheduling component as well and registration piece. So we're going to have some, uh, you know, considerations with respect to how we market that. So, uh, for example, uh, a lot of these processors are working with uh, paper desk calendars. I mean, that's that's their system. It's you know, and uh, the more advanced ones are maybe making appointments in you know on on their iPhones or whatever. But it's it's really a pretty simple process. So, you know, um, you know, when we think of a, a calendar from a processor perspective, it's not like we're building Microsoft Project or something. It's really a pretty, pretty simple, you know, requirement and things. But then you figure you have to figure in all these other aspects of it, like how long does it take for a a processor to process a cow and how do you um, set up blocks and things like that. So I think there's going to be some kind of fun engineering things there, but um, you know, there's just a lot of, I would say coding wise that uh, we need to get through with, uh, with our domestics piece uh, to enhance it. So, I mean, we do do it now, but we really want to build that out and have a pretty grand plan for doing that. But um, you know, the other thing is just traction too, making sure we've got people, uh, signed up, um, you know, and the way the product is has been adopted so far, there's a lot of processors on the wild game side, and um, people are using it less for domestics at this point until the other 
um, you know, until the other features are built out. So our revenue model looks pretty lopsided with respect to, you know, the, um, you know, what we're collecting at what time of the year and things like that. So as we get into more of the, you know, the domestics um, features and have more people on board with that, that'll kind of, um, you know, help us level out that that revenue and things. So, you know, it's it's kind of uh, staying the course, I think, making sure that, you know, uh, if people have objections to the product that we're, you know, addressing those. And, you know, and now we've talked to enough people where you, you hear some of the, you know, the complaints or whatever. And I want to say not necessarily product complaints because that's been very well received. But for people that are considering coming on board, you know, are they looking at, you know, do they think things are too expensive or, you know, they don't really see the value in it or, you know, some of those kinds of things. And then you have, you know, it's a community that's just fairly difficult to uh, to track and get hold of because everybody's so busy. So, you know, those are kind of the, you know, I would say the big challenges that, you know, that we have. But, you know, we've got a great team and, you know, we're excited about it. And, you know, we've we've got a, a national convention coming up this year. It's in uh, Des Moines. So uh, it's last year's was in Oklahoma City and we've got a uh, we bought uh, two booths next to each other. So we've got a lot more space um, at this, you know, at this location. So uh, it's going to be kind of fun to, you know, um, you know, throw some stuff up on, you know, some big screens and get people excited about it. But, you know, we're going to continue to um, you know, build our product in a way that, um, you know, we're being sensible with how we um, spend our resources. So, you know, if it requires some, you know, digital wireframes that have some interactivity or something without building the whole product out, you know, we'll showcase some of that stuff. And that'll, that'll help us get that, you know, that uh, user feedback that we're, you know, we're, we're so, you know, believe in, you know, so strongly. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt, thanks a lot for your time. You know, I tell you what, much. let's let's do this. Make sure you and I, you know, we've been we've been sort of threatening to make sure we stay in, in touch with each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and let's do that because honestly, I think you know, you're the one thing you just got done talking about on the domestic side of things, and even you know, even 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 on the wild game. But I mean, processor capability capacity in this country is very low. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you said, they're two years out. Mm-hmm. To me, I think a selling point of your platform is is how to how to make sure that you can build this program. You know, that this could be a critical part of being able to you know be able to build a business so that you know what if you want to expand. I mean, you get two years of bookings, right? Absolutely. And vice versa, the processor if they think about that, they, that means they've got sort of two years of being able to. I mean, they they a lot of them probably look at it as negatively. Oh my God, you know, I can't do anything for two years. Well, no, that means you have a planning arc of two years. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's so a lot of analytics. How, <laughs> yeah, how can we help you plan exactly? Mm-hmm. And you know, so that you know that profit. And the nice thing about it, it's almost like locked in profitability streams because people have if, if people have committed to two years out processing. <laughs> yep. They've got a certain amount of money to it, you know, um, and, and vice versa. I mean, on the consumer side, if people know that, hey, I want to buy into subscription programs, right? Yep. I've got, you know, I've got some, you know, there's some things that we can connect the dots on. So Absolutely. Um, anyways, you know, let's keep in touch. And I've got, like I said, I've got a couple of fellows programs coming up that have some meat processors in the mix here. So Sounds um, great. I'm, I'm happy to, yeah, happy love to, to have connect them anytime. And, yeah, talk with them. So. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. 
And you can learn more about Edible Alpha and the Food Finance Institute by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. 